Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 218 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm Chad Dotson, joining me again today, your friend and mine, everyone's favorite uh, co-host of Red Leg Nation Radio, of course, or at least one of the everyone's favorites. Jason Linden, how are you, Jason? I'm well, and I don't like that equivocation. I, I <laughs> simply have to be the favorite co-host of this podcast. You are absolutely my favorite co-host tonight. <laughs> oh, oh, Chad, <laughs> oh, that lawyer's tongue of yours. Yeah, don't you, don't you threat th- call me uh, names like lawyer. Um, I'm not a lawyer anymore. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds, Jason, and forget this nonsense. Let's talk about the Reds. You want to? Yes, let's talk about Reds and the baseball they play. You like the Reds? I like them. They are my favorite team that like plays the, baseball. Yeah, I like the Reds. The Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about them. The Reds are at the All-Star break, and it's, this has been the most uh, roller coaster first half that probably has ever happened in the history of this franchise. Probably not, but it seems like it. They started the year 3-18. and 18. Do you remember that? Yes. The sky yes, was falling. It, the sky, the sky fell, Chad. The sky was down. It fell hard. Um, we got crushed. Yeah, it was. It was not good. Not at all. Uh, not even a little bit. It was terrible. Uh, literally, uh, an historically bad start to the season. But yeah. as it turns out, the sky uh, wasn't falling after all, was it? Even though it felt like it at the time. No, oh, thank God, it was not falling. <laughs> Can you, um, can you imagine doing these podcasts all year? Oh, my God. If they were still on pace to lose like 127 games oh or whatever. Oh, I can't even imagine. Uh, I may have just I may just have switched to like rocking catatonically <laughs> on the floor whenever right. it was necessary for me to write something about baseball. Oh. But it, uh, that didn't happen. No, it, it did not happen. It, it's been... Uh, it's been, actually since then it's been quite an enjoyable baseball season. Yeah. They've been a good team since then. And it's weird to say that. I mean, we're talking about boy, it's you know, it's coming up on like half a season of them playing winning baseball. Well, yeah, since those that 3 and 18 start and you can't yeah. you can't forget that it happened, but since that 3 and 18 start, the Reds are <laughs> over a, a span of 75 games. That's a lot of games. 40 yeah. and 35 record, 40 wins, 35 losses. That's the team if we went back and listened to you and I talking before the season, that's the team we predicted, is it not? That is exactly the team that we predicted, Chad. And look at them go. It's nice. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, you know, a somewhat above average team, pretty competitive, you know, pretty much every night and uh, and fun to watch. And so, uh, you know, who are they? We'll talk about that in a moment. Are they that team from the beginning? Are they the team that's 40 and 35? Or are they someone different? But... I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about whether that start the forty and thirty-five record in the last seventy-five games should change the way the front office approaches the trade deadline, which is rapidly approaching us. But before we do that, we had a question uh, from one of our uh, uh, many, many, many listeners to Red Leg Nation Radio. It's uh, and you can, if you have a question for the podcast, feel free, Chad Dotson at uh, RedLegNation.com, send it to me, and we'll try to get you uh, get your question on the air. This question is from John Juan. John Juan, good name, uh, avid reader and listener for a long time now, he claims. Do we believe John? 
Uh, Avid. Mm. Why would he? Yeah. No one's been listening to this podcast for a long time because you'd be not avidly. Oh, your ears would be bleeding if you've been listening to us for too long, <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. All right, let me, let's, let me tell you about uh, John's question, and it's a little bit of a long question, but I think it's one that's uh, really interesting for us to talk about, and I appreciate John uh, emailing us. Again, Chad Dotson at RedLegNation.com. You can get your question on the podcast, but here's John's. I got a question about war. That's wins above replacement, Jason. I know you don't like the saber metrics. Wins above replacement and Jesse Winker. I've been most confused by Jesse's production. He has an 800-plus OPS, which is true. Jesse Winker's OPS is, let's see what it is. I'm, I'm pulling it up here. Uh, yeah, eight, uh, 833 at this point. 833 OPS plus of uh, 126, which is really good. Um, uh, but Baseball Reference and ESPN have Jesse having a negative wins above replacement. Negative war on the season, uh, mostly due to his defense. What are your thoughts? Is war unreliable due to the lack of accuracy of, due to the lack of, accuracy of defensive metrics? Or is Winker so bad defensively that even an 800-plus OPS can't compensate for his defense? Are we massively overvaluing Jesse's production this season? Or is War an incredibly unreliable statistic when it comes to poor defensive outfielders? John, that was a lot of questions, not just one, but we're happy to discuss because this is a great topic. Um, Jason, do you have some thoughts on that? I do, and I will express them now. Please do. Um, so... First thing I would say, don't pay any attention to ESPN's ones above replacement metric. Nobody else does. So hold on, slow down. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you say bad things about ESPN. They have published some of my writing in the past, and so clearly they are brilliant when it comes to being a media organization. They've, they've published some of my writing in the past, too. That doesn't make their ones above replacement metric uh, good or valued. It's not. <laughs> Jason, they mentioned me on SportsCenter once. Well, you know. That's a true story. <laughs> I need to post that video. But anyway, go ahead. You're you're right. You're right about their war. Let's so, let's, let's talk about uh, baseball reference and fangrafts, which are the ones yeah, that there, are there are two that you should pay attention to. One is baseball reference and one is fangrafts. Fangrafts has him at zero point nine wins above replacement this year, uh, which has him as, as roughly an average player given the given the amount of playing time that he's had um so far. So then what it really comes down to is as noted is in the question is it, or you know, implied I think is defense. His defense is not good. I think everybody knows it's not good. Like, it's pretty clear watching Jesse Winker play the outfield that playing the outfield is not his strong suit. And we're, we're big Jesse Winker fans, but let's, yeah. let's not sugarcoat it. He's not you know, Billy Hamilton out there. Right. That said, um, the current defensive metrics, uh, this is, should I can get on a high horse about this. Should I get on a high horse, Chad? Jason, get on that high horse. So the current defensive metrics that both Baseball Reference and Fangraphs are using to evaluate players are bad. Um, I right. said to somebody recently that I feel like the teams at this point are on like version 4.0 and the, the public sites are still using version 1.0 yeah. in terms of how they assess defense. Um, the current metrics, you need three full seasons of data before they can be considered reliable um and how unreliable they are you know shows up in the enormous difference in how jesse winker is evaluated between fan graphs and uh and baseball reference 
And because, you know, they're, they're both going to be giving him almost exactly the same weight offensively. Everybody, we pretty well understand how to, how to measure offense, and everybody agrees on that pretty well. Um, what we really still are not getting good measurements for in terms of the wins above replacement metric is, is defense. So, you know, the question really is, is Jesse Winker historically bad in right field, which is what, you know, baseball reference has him being? No, probably not. Is he bad yeah probably which is kind of where fan graphs has him um but we're not going to really know for sure you know how he rates out as a fielder for a couple of years um which is agitating and i really wish that um the statistics you know people out there and and there's research available you know to to adapt this um would modify the ones above replacement what I will say, and then I'll take a breath and let Chad talk, and so this isn't Jason London talks about defensive metrics podcast hour. Don't bother. I'm enjoying it. Um, is that the best research I've seen out there um, on this says that the positional adjustments are a little bit too big. So if somebody's on the lower end of the defensive spectrum – so we're talking about corner outfielders uh, and first base, basically. You need to give them a little extra credit if they're on the upper end of the defensive spectrum, which is to say pretty much everybody else. You maybe dock them just a touch, except for maybe center field, which might be slightly undervalued. It's kind of complicated. But basically, the, the metrics aren't as good as they could be when it comes to defense. In terms of offense... You know, we're, we're in a very reliable place. Defense, not so much. So you definitely have to take the defense with a grain of salt, especially with a player like Jesse Winker, who has just really, in terms of being in the field, a touch over half a season. Yeah, I, I love the way you described that, and I think you're absolutely right. For a long time now, actually, I've been uh, not really a you know proselytizer or an evangelist for defensive metrics, but I've been... Uh, I guess, uh, cautiously optimistic about what information they could provide to us. And, and certainly you have to have, you know, multiple seasons of, uh, of a sample size to, to that. That's always been the case before you can really draw any grand conclusions about what defensive metrics tell us. I am less confident in defensive metrics today than I was publicly available to defensive metrics. Let me, let me say that than I was when we first started uh, seeing some of these uh, numbers come out. And, and and you've really just sort of hit the, hit the nail on the head about some of the reasons why. But also, you know, with sh- all these shifts now, and, you know, I, I, I have questions about the way that this, this stuff is, uh, at least, uh, again, the publicly available defensive metrics about the way it's all collated and uh, how much we can rely on it. I mean, Jesse Winker is is not good defensively, but, you know, how bad is he? Is he just barely below average? Is he way below average? You know, the eye test, which you can't rely on, tells me that he's below average, but that he's not, you know, the worst defensive outfit I've ever seen. And congratulations to Adam Dunn, by the way, for being uh, inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame this weekend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, Adam is one of my favorite players ever. Managing to put a subtle dig on Adam Dunn right there. I didn't know you had it in you. I know. I'm really, I'm really upset. I think we may need to start this podcast over. I can't believe I just did that because I've spent so many <laughs> years defending Adam Dunn. He's my, one of my favorite players. But you know, I, I'm, I don't know about Jesse Wink. With all the shift uh, shifts that are going on now, how are how is that being uh, you know uh, placed into the, uh, the the data? And 
I just don't know. And so I think with, with respect to wins above replacement, I think it causes us, a, you know, as John was asking, I think it causes us to have a little bit of skepticism as to, as to these numbers because you can't be completely reliant on the defensive aspect of the wins above replacement. I, you know, offense, I think we can measure that very well. And war is not the, not the number I would use to measure offense. Um, but I, I think we need to devalue war just a little bit at this point until some of the uh, the, the things that the, that the franchises internally have available to them is uh, available to the public a little more. I love the way you put it. They're on like version 4 and we're still at the uh, you know, well, 1.0. And the thing is really I think it's just that we've got some entrenchment um, here where, where people just haven't changed in a long time. Like I said, I think there are publicly available ways to measure defense better. Um, we just haven't done it yet. Um, the, the sites haven't done it yet. I think it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, the way I've kind of taken to thinking about it, um, you know, I think especially, you know, with regards to shifts and things like that, is to kind of look at things as, like, look at them as like an overall unit, if that makes sense. Like, how many, you know, how is the Reds' outfield as a whole doing? Because it may be that, you know, I don't know this, but is it possible that Jesse Winker suffers because he plays next to Billy Hamilton? Because Lord knows Billy Hamilton can get everything, right? So are there balls that Jesse Winker might catch, but instead he lets Hamilton get them because Hamilton can get to them more easily? I don't know. Maybe. You know, and that's why it's it's really messy to try to measure. Uh, one of the reasons it's messy to try to measure UZR uh, or measure defense. The UZR is the fan graph stat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's not a below-replacement-level player. No, there's there's no way. He is not. Um, and, you know, I would say right now, I would say he probably is providing above-average value to the Reds. You know, corner outfield spots you're expected to hit, um, and he is, but he's hitting well even for a corner outfielder. But there's no way his defense is so bad that it cancels out his offense. I think that's right, and uh, because his off- offense has been so good at age 24, you know he's one of the top three guys in the league in on base percentage, 404, and so uh, in in the National League. So yeah, you know, but I think to get to John's question, I think yes, you have to uh, uh, say at this point, WAR may be uh, somewhat at least unreliable. Is that going too far? No, I don't think so. And I mean, in fairness, I don't think anyone has ever said that war was a perfect stat. You know, if you if you read up on things, people early on were like, listen, you know, I, if I'm recalling correctly, they were even saying that there's effectively no difference between like a three war player and a 3.5 war player. Like, you know, within the scale of like half a, a war, you, half a win above replacement, you don't, it, it's impossible to say it. The stat's not that precise. Um so, yeah, and the error bars are pretty pretty big on that stat, and that's something I think people got real comfortable with it, and it kind of slid into a thing that everyone started using as a precise stat, and I include myself in that for sure. Like I, and I still do this more often than I should, like way more often than I should. Um, but it's it is yeah, you're you are right, Chad. It is uh, not the most reliable stat. Say that. Party, what was that? You, you are right, Chad. Did did you just say that? We've had this talk, Chad. Every once in a while, I'm correct, right? Every once in a while, it happens. Every now and again, I stumble into being right about something. Yeah. 
All right. Well, yeah, that's an interesting uh, discussion, and and we all fall into that uh, uh, sort of trap of, oh man, he's a you know three point two war player. He's much better than that guy's a three point zero war player. Yeah. No, he's not. No. Hey, I mean, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you can't tell. And, and the fact that Baseball Reference and and Fangraphs calculate it differently, that should be more evidence than uh, than you need. To say that, hey, there are different ways to value this. Which one's right? I don't know. So the fact of the matter is, Jesse Winker at age 24 uh, has a 293 batting average, 404 on base percentage, 429 slugging percentage. Jesse Winker is a good player that needs to yeah. be in the lineup every single day. I don't care what his war stat says. Uh, he needs to be playing every day. Period. Yes. End of story, right? I agree completely, fully, and wholeheartedly. Oh, finally. Okay, let's get back to the Cincinnati Reds, uh, you know, at the as the All-Star break uh, is here. and uh, Did you watch that All-Star game, Jason? I did watch that All-Star game. Uh, some Reds did some things in it. That was something. Yeah. That was as much, you know, I watch the All-Star game every year, but it, it's gotten to the point where most years, the only uh, sort of joy I get out of watching the All-Star game is I like the uh, the introductions. At the beginning, uh, you know, I, yeah. since I was, I don't know, five years old, that's been my favorite part of the All-Star game. I don't, I don't know why, but a lot of people, I think, feel that way. Uh, tonight, we, or not tonight, but the, uh, Tuesday night, we had a had actual game to go with those introductions, didn't we? We did. It was a good game, and Reds hit two home runs. Reds? Reds. There, are you one, telling me there was more than one Red in the All-Star game? In, in fact, at one point, three quarters of the infield were Red men of Cincinnati. And and how glorious was that? This is our infield. The infield for our Reds men. Yes. The yep. Reds men, Cincinnati. Eugenio Suarez was at third. Scooter Jeanette was at second. And uh, Joey Votto, of course, at first. Uh, and uh, there were 10 home runs hit total. Scooter Jeanette hit a two-run bomb in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game. And, and then Joey Votto hit one. And, uh, you know, so yay for the Reds. It was fun. It was the most fun I've had watching one of those in a long time. It was and so, fun. I was actually like, I, I stayed up for the whole thing. Yeah, me too. You know, it's <laughs> something I watch it until I get tired and go to bed because, Lord, there's no other baseball for four days. So you got to take what you can get. <laughs> right. Um, but no, I was like, you know, engaged and, and watched the entire thing. Yeah, and it was it, it was good and 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 let me just say one thing quickly before we put that All Star game to, to bed. Uh, those of you that are out there complaining about Joey Votto making an error in the All Star game and and maybe that contributed to the fact that the American League uh, scored some runs. You know what? Shut up! Shut up! Who cares? It's an exhibition listen, game. Listen, listen, Chad. Listen. I'm listening. Skip. Schumacher would never make an error in the All-Star game. That's true, because he had grit. He had grit, and also I don't think he ever made an All-Star team. Thank, thank goodness. You know, if, if you're if you're complaining about Joey Votto, then you're just looking for a reason to hate Joey Votto. And just quit. I, I, I can't deal with Reds fans that are looking for reasons to criticize Joey Votto. I don't care if he made an error. It's an exhibition game. It's fun. Yeah. You and I complain all the time. Baseball's supposed to be fun. Let's have fun. And there's no better instance of that than the All-Star game. It's just a yes. dumb exhibition where we're supposed to have fun. Yes, correct. And, like, you know, the thing about the All-Star game, it is uh, 
you know, the most ridiculous of those contests, I always kind of feel like is for me personally, for me is like the NBA all-star game where there just is no defense, right? Like just nobody plays defense. Um, but in the baseball, in, in, in the, in the all-star game, I feel like it is typically everyone is throwing and swinging basically as hard as they can. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, you know, it's that version of it. It's like, let's see, can I throw, you know, I'm only pitching an inning instead of six. So I'm right. just going to throw 98 every pitch. Um, yeah, yeah, Max Scherzer started the game just trying to blast it past people. It was great. Just, uh, yeah, relax, people. Have fun. It's okay to have fun. Speaking of fun, and, and I don't want to get into a big discussion of this, although you and I probably should talk about this at some point because we're really big advocates of having fun watching baseball. But the way that Major League Baseball presented this game was fantastic from a fan standpoint. They were mocking players up and talking to them in the middle of the game. They were uh, you know had players taking selfies on the field. That was what baseball should be. It, I mean, I don't know. You can't do that during the regular season to that extent, but you got to see the personalities that were actually on the field. And I just thought it was a, it was the first time in years that I felt like baseball packaged their product in a way that would appeal to, uh, you know, the kids these days, you know, the kids these days, they love the rock and roll. We need to get them liking the baseball. Yes, we do need to get them liking the baseball. I agree. Though I think plenty of kids like the baseball, frankly. I, I never get on board with all of the, like, oh, baseball is dying stories. No, it's not. It's dying. Baseball dude. is fine. People go to baseball lots and lots and lots. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it can't hurt to have a chance to see some of these personalities and uh, get to talk to them. You know, why, you know, you got a pitcher that's out of the game, or the guy that pitched yesterday. Talk to him on the bench. Let, tell us what in the middle of a game. Things like that. Baseball needs to get out of nineteen twenty and uh, and open up a little bit. I think. And so, uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. That's our favorite baseball team. And everyone that has downloaded this podcast, I imagine, is a fan of the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds are at this point forty three and fifty three, which is almost unfathomable given where they started. Uh, still 13 and a half games at a first, still dead last in the National League Central, but they've been pretty good in the last 75 games. And so the first question I'm going to ask you, that, Jason, and I didn't tell you before the podcast I was going to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you because I know you're great on, on your feet here. The Cincinnati Reds, what's the second half going to hold? Are they going to be the team that we've seen the last 75 games? What are we going to see? for the last uh, 66 games of the season. Which, which Reds team? The Cincinnati Reds will finish within five games of 500. Wow. So you're saying that's they're going to be five over, basically, in the second half? Yes, that's what I'm saying. No, I think they'll win. I think they'll win in the mid-70s at the end of the season. Um, I think were it not for um, that abysmal start i think they are at least in the wild card hunt which is what i said before the season started um and uh but yeah it was you know everything broke wrong and there was some organizational incompetence for that first month yes and uh no i think they'll finish somewhere in the mid 70s well, look at this if they if you know for the last 75 games we already said they were 40 and 35. That's a 533 winning percentage. If they keep up that winning percentage for the rest of the season, they would finish 78 and 84. And yeah, can you I imagine keep... that after being 3 and 18? Oh, 
It would be great. And I keep I keep waiting. They've been within like one win of this a few times. Yeah. They're like if they'd won their next game, I was gonna tweet, yeah, I was ready. They blew the game one time. I can't remember which way which game it was, but they blew it late. And I was ready to tweet that if the Reds continue winning at the percentage they have since their three and eighteen start, they will win eighty games this year. And they haven't and then they keep losing that game. Yeah. So all they need is a little run. They you know, if they come out and win two or three in a row, uh, they will, assuming that this is the real team, uh, they will have a, a fair shot at 80 wins, which would be amazing. <laughs> It'd be impossible to, to imagine. Uh, even if they just play 500 the rest of the way, they'll end up 76 and 86. Yep. You know, and, and that's not good, but it is, uh, it's a substantial improvement over the last three seasons. Wait. When you're 15 games under after 21 <laughs> games, 76 and 86 is good. It's great. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you yeah. won't hear me complaining. And so what that will tell us, well, actually, I think what we already know, and you and I have said it already a couple times tonight, the fact that the Reds are, are five over in their last 75 games, this is the team. I'm going to say I told you so here, Jason. I'm going to say it on your behalf as well because we spent a long time in a, a number of podcasts, I guess, before the season, talking about how this team was a roughly 500 team and uh, with a chance to be better. And you were actually more more optimistic about their chances. And I think it's pretty much clear here. And this is what really upsets me. I'm about to get. I'm about to. I'm about to cry or rage at the machine here. But this team is the team we said they were. And if it were not for management, just completely punting completely refusing to put a competent team on the field in that first three weeks of the season, or, or 21 games anyway, then this team is probably is probably somewhere around 500 at least. I, I know they had the injuries early, and so maybe they don't, uh, you know, uh, maybe they're not uh, above 500 in those first 21 games. But what if they're just five under? Yeah. Then this team yeah. is a 500 team right now, and you cannot tell me that if the Reds did not have—I'm about to get upset, Jason—if they don't have Giovanni Gallardo, if they don't have uh, uh, Cliff Pennington, if they don't have—I hate to say it because he's a UVA guy, and I'm a UVA guy—but Phil Goslin, and instead they have, let's say, Dylan Floro, for example, over uh, Giovanni Gallardo, and I didn't know Floro was going to be great, but everybody knew Gallardo was going to be awful. Yeah, that's that's the thing is it's not that we knew who was going to be really good. It's that we could have told you not to sign Gallardo. Everybody knew that. What if you had Brandon Dixon? If you don't, even if you don't want to call up Senzel, which I think is ludicrous, they should have had Nick Senzel up here. But what if right. it's just Alex Blandino and Brandon Dixon instead of uh, you know Chad Pennington? You know you're forgetting somebody. There, there's a pitcher out there. If the Reds had had it was freely available, and imagine, just imagine what they could have oh. done. Yeah, about, instead of Gallardo, I think I know who you're talking about. You you want to say who it is? You want me to? I, I think you should say it for us. Yeah, I mean, don't sign Giovanni Gallardo. If you want to go sign a pitcher, bring him back from last year, the only guy they should have brought back that didn't come back. Luis Alberto Bonilla. You set me up there, and it was on a tee. I had to take it. It was, it was. I, I, I'm glad that you appreciate it. But seriously, when, when Suarez is hurt early, Let's say you get uh, Senzel getting most of those at-bats. Even Blandino, but say Senzel and Blandino share them instead of uh, Phil Goslin and Cliff Pennington. If uh, if you got a, just a competent reliever instead of Giovanni Gallardo, this team is, uh, they they had injuries early. 
The young pitchers were struggling a little bit early, but still are better than 3-18. and 18. It's not a historic bad start. And then we're in a completely different conversation right now. Now, I've ranted for a while. I'm going to let you take over. I, you got it, man. Like, uh, yeah, I'm it, just how ridiculous that they were giving starts to some of the people they were giving starts to. Um, it just, it upsets it me. Yeah. It's I'm stammering because there's no good or re- like, or feasible explanation for the way the team proceeded. It, just ridiculous it was complete you know as i said at the time it wasn't it wasn't even so much that they were so terrible it was that they were so terrible while constantly shooting themselves in the foot yes that's it like if they'd been making defensible decisions and those had been going wrong okay that happens sometimes but if you're making completely indefensible decisions that pretty much guarantee you're going to suck, and then you suck, well, no one is surprised. Yeah, don't ask for uh, my sympathy when you have uh, Cliff Pennington and Giovanni Gallardo playing key roles on your team, when you have Pennington and and Goslin starting in place of Eugenio Suarez when he's hurt, uh, instead of a guy that has a chance to be, you know, Suarez. Nick Senzel may have come up and hit uh, 190, maybe. But I don't care. You can't tell me he's not a better option at third base than uh, Cliff Pennington, who got the the lion's share of those starts, and uh, let's let's stop, Jason. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. It, it, we had a couple of podcasts there during that mess where we were really upset, and uh, I think in retrospect we're wrong about, uh, or at least I'm wrong about most things. But man, we were completely right about this team in retrospect. So okay, but let's talk about where we are. We can't uh, take away those first 21 games. Let's talk about where we are, and uh, the Reds are uh, playing well, and the trade deadline is coming up on us. And uh, there was a uh, a piece in the Cincinnati Inquirer, it uh, actually published today, and uh, it was online last night, I think, by John Fay. And I like John. He's been a friend of the podcast, been on a number of times. And, and I don't know if he was just trying to sort of do a hot take or something here, but his, uh, his thoughts were, you know, why don't the Reds just stand pat? Hang on to Matt Harvey. They're playing well. Hang on to Matt Harvey. Hang on to everyone. And, and, I guess the the thought was going to next season on a high because they're winning in the second half. Jason, uh, it, what the Reds do here at this trade deadline to me is very important, and um, and they could screw it up. And I think standing pat would be one way to screw it up, right? Yes, one hundred percent. Like I think honestly, a case could be made for holding on to anyone on the roster except Matt Harvey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Harvey's going to be a free agent and you have to trade him. And that's just that. Like, he's been great and it's been enjoyable to watch him pitch. And I did not think I would hear myself saying those things. Right, yeah. The Reds traded for him. So great for them. You know, that's fantastic. But he absolutely 100% has got to be traded. No question. Everybody else, I can see the case. You know, I can see the case, honestly, is the Reds being kind of like, buyers for next year um to a large extent in the next few years where i would not mind seeing a couple of high-end prospects head out if it brings back an ace pitcher yeah um who the reds will control for a few years i wouldn't mind that a bit um you know it would be hard to say like say taylor Trammell or hunter green or whoever go um the only prospect i really 
probably don't trade is Nick Senzel just because he's clearly ready now. And regardless of where you, regardless of where you slide him, <clears throat> second base, <clears throat> the Reds um, need. I feel like I feel like one more offensive contributor would really make them into a serious force. I mean, already good offensive team, but if you add one more really good hitter, you could enter a circumstance where. Listen, all of these, let me just, this is the lineup and you put people at whatever positions you want to put them at. I know we're getting off track here, but I just want to say this out loud, okay? Please do. You expect to be 40% at least better than league average. That's his floor. Eugenio Suarez probably has about the same floor right now. I think... um, Nick Senzel is probably in the 20 to 30% above league average neighborhood. I think, and Lord help my Twitter mentions, I think Scooter Jeanette is a notch below that offensively. When there's some batting average and balls in play, I think Scooter is an excellent player. I'm not saying a bad thing about Scooter. I'm saying I don't think he's probably quite as good as Nick Senzel, but I think Nick Senzel is an all-star right away. So that's my opinion. I know. I know. Wow. my Twitter mentions are going to catch on fire now. Um, Hold on, I got to go tweet that. Raza probably league average hitter this whole season. Scott Shevler has been about twenty percent above average. Tucker Barnhart is roughly league average. Jesse Winker is about thirty percent above league average. That's an entire lineup where your worst hitters are league average hitters, and there are only two of them, and everybody else is well above league average, like. Well above, like I have to, everybody just bear with me for one second here. Right now, right now at this moment, in all of Major League Baseball, there are only, sorry, I'm clicking. Click away, man. There are 63 hitters this year who are at least 20% above league average. It is completely possible for me to imagine next year that the Reds have six of those. That is 10% of all the hitters who are 20% or better above league average playing every day for the Cincinnati Reds. That offense would score an enormous amount of runs. Just an insane amount of runs. So much so that if you have even decent pitching, you are automatically a contender. No question. It's so, a, it's a dream scenario, no question about that. If you want to trade some prospects and get yourself an ace pitcher, I'm right there with you because I think that's really what the Reds need and then they're a contender. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. That's uh that's an interesting way to look at it. You know, um uh, this week I had a, a chance to, I was in uh in town for a, a couple of interviews about the book. Uh, have you heard about the book, Jason? I've heard about In fact, I've read the book. Ooh, it's called The Big 50. The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, I wrote that with uh, with Chris Garber because Jason yep. refuses to write a book with me. There are surprise. I was really surprised for those who are listening. Um, how many of the stories, even though it said it was about the Reds, were actually about the St. Louis Cardinals? Okay. Listen, we're trying to sell books here, man. <laughs> Don't you? We're trying to peddle these books out here, and you're out here defaming us. Man, that was quicker than if I said something bad about Adam Dunn or Billy Hamilton. No, right? No, it's a delightful book, and there's a lot of a lot of excellent history in it, and a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Um, and everybody should go out and buy it, and read it, and enjoy it. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that you recovered well. 
but but in, but I was in town doing a, an interview with uh, WVXU, the public radio, and uh, it was a really good long form interview that's going to be out uh, sometime in the next week. We recorded them one, but anyway, after it was done, I went over to uh, to ESPN fifteen thirty uh, Cincinnati's. Uh, local ESPN radio affiliate and uh just to say hi to some guys I know over there Mo Egger you all know Mo Egger and James Rapine and and uh and Lance McAllister dropped in just to say hi but anyway I just went over there because I was there and ended up uh get, getting on air uh spent a couple of hours actually uh just going back and forth about the Reds and that was a lot of fun appreciate those guys uh doing that put me to work is what they did but but one of the things that uh, we discussed for a while that I think is really interesting about this trade deadline is for the first time in a long time, the Reds are going to trade Matt Harvey, period. There's no argument against that. You have to trade Matt Harvey. But other than that, the Reds are not sellers. Now, they may not be buyers necessarily. They may be some sort of, you know, in the purgatory in between. But for the first time in a while, they're not sellers. And that seems to me like a significant, uh, yes, you know, step in the the rebuilding process that finally the Reds are not sellers and yes they're going to trade Matt Harvey um but that's the only guy they really need to get rid of because he's not going to be a red next year it makes no sense to hang on to Matt Harvey and I, I really love what Matt Harvey has done he's done everything the Reds hoped he would kudos to the front office we just hammered him earlier in the podcast kudos for turning a backup catcher who I also loved if friend of Red Lake Nation, Devin Mesoraco, into a guy that the Reds may get something for. But other than him, there's no one they have to trade. You can make cases for trading Scooter Jeanette. You can make a case for trading Rosell Iglesias. You can make a case for trading any of the prospects. And and I would include Nick Senzel. I would even uh, consider trading him in the right deal. I'm not looking to trade him, but in the right deal, certainly. Even though I think the way you put it, he's basically the one guy we know he's going to be an above-average yeah. hitter in the Major at this point. He's proven himself enough to know if he's healthy, he's legit. Can I can I talk about Nick Senzel for a minute? Because I want to address something. You know, one of one of the things that has been, I I was Nick Senzel and Scooter Jeanette obviously are heavily intertwined, and I was for a fair bit of time a Scooter skeptic. You were uh, a well publicized Scooter skeptic. I was a well publicized Scooter skeptic. It's possible that someone in control of a very large fan site Twitter account retweeted something I said and made my life terrible for several days. I don't uh, know what you're talking about, Jason. You I, don't name have, him, can, I don't have but, any control over the at Red Leg Nation Twitter account. Uh, in any case, um, what I keep hearing from people is, well, but he's a prospect. You never know with a prospect. No, 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 no. Listen, if Nick Senzel were, say, like the number 52 prospect in baseball and he was at high A, like, then you could say, well, you never know. A lot could happen between now. No, no, no. Listen, I have on recording somewhere Dick Schofield, manager for the Bats, say about Nick Senzel, he's a big league player. No question. He's a major league player. Not he could be. No, he is now yeah. a major league player. Which is why we were upset that he wasn't up with the Reds earlier yes. in the year. Yeah. He one hundred percent is a major league player. Players like Nick Senzel do not flame out. Now, is it possible that he is disappointingly average when he's called up? Sure, that's possible. Is he gonna be bad? No. He's yeah. not gonna be mad. Still is a big league player. Average? Right. His floor is average. His ceiling is MVP. Ooh. And that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up, Jason, because when we talk about the Reds have assets in the minor league system, it's time to start looking to trade some of these guys. 
you know, we say trade the prospects. People say he's not a prospect. Nixon no. Zeldin, I mean, he's still classified as a prospect. If you look at the prospect rankings, because the Reds inexplicably have refused to promote him to the major leagues, but he's not a prospect. He's a guarantee. If he's healthy, he's guaranteed. I'm telling you, he's uh, people keep saying Brandon Larson. No. Nick Senzel is a legitimate major leaguer. Now, where he's going to fall on the big league scale, you know, is he going to be average? Is he going to be above average? Is he going to be great? I don't know. He'll prove that when he gets to the big leagues. But if healthy, he's absolutely a guarantee to be a an effective major leaguer. And so that's not a prospect to me. No. And just for I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Brandon Larson was three years older than Nick Senzel is now when he got a cup of coffee. Quadruple A player. That's what everyone yeah. wants to tweet at me. Brandon Larson. You never no. know, they say. Is not Brandon Larson. And also, everybody needs to chill about the vertigo. Yes, it's a thing. Yes, they have to pay attention to it. But just because Nick Asaski had his career ruined does not mean that Nixon Zell is going to have his career ruined. And in fact, if anybody felt it were likely that Nixon Zell were going to have his career ruined, he Baseball America would not have just ranked him the number four prospect in all of baseball. Yeah. I mean, there's a, sort of a spectrum on the, uh, the vertigo yeah. scale. And, and I've suffered from very mild vertigo, and it is debilitating to an extent. Uh, and uh, so Yeah, I'm, I have too, and it stinks. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not minimizing it, but uh, Nixon Zell is going to be fine. You know, and the injury at the end of the season was a fluke. It's nothing yeah. that you can be, could be expected to recur. Um, and we'll wait till next, uh, next spring training to get upset about the fact that the Reds are not going to have him on the opening day line, uh, roster. Anywho, Jason, they got to trade Matt Harvey, but they're not sellers. Does that to you, just to sort of circle back, does that to you signify a, an important step in this rebuilding process? that they're not sellers, whether they're buyers or not, they're not actually they selling guys in the off season for sure. Yes. But at this trade deadline, does the yeah. fact that they're not sellers, it, it means something to me. And, and Mo and I talked about this. It, that's a, seems to me like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, and let me say this, I will say this out loud. And if anyone in, in the reds front office hears it, I'm, I know I've said it more or less several times. Reds front office. If you get one frontline starting pitcher, I don't mean somebody's number three starter who had an inexplicably good year last year. I mean a genuine frontline starting pitcher. And no, I don't mean somebody who had a really good two months after coming back from Tommy John surgery and he was an ace before. No, a legit ace or something very close to it, I am all in on next season. I will pick the Reds to win the Central and not feel foolish about it. And and also forgive a lot of the missteps from April yes, of this year. Yes, a lot of the missteps. Yeah. This year will be but a distant memory if you do that, which is what that's the piece that they're missing. Yeah. I don't have any doubts about their ability from the resources they have to cobble together, you know, 80% of a starting rotation, but they need somebody. They need a frontline somebody who you can count on, and they're going to cost money or prospects and whatever. Do do one of those. Go do it. Yeah. yeah. In addition to RedLegNation.com, where you sh you guys need to be reading Red Leg Nation every day, but uh, Jason and I both write for a Cincinnati magazine as well, and and they've sort of made a commitment over the last few years to to do some in depth analysis of the Reds, and and a few weeks ago at, at Cincinnati magazine, I had a piece. 
that uh, not as well received as your Jose Peraza piece. That was great. Boy, it's fun when players prove you right, isn't it? <laughs> it's been a good week for you, man, because he's proven everything you you said. Jose Peraza is great, but uh, and we probably should spend some time talking about that because that changes the Reds' rebuilding process as well. But um, a few weeks ago, I gave a, a seven-point plan, seven easy steps for contention, and that was the, sort of the biggest one. This uh, off-season, the Reds, or at the trade deadline, if they can go out and get a pitcher now, but uh, for the next few few years. But that's got to be a big-time, big-time priority because if this team gets a stud pitcher, this team is uh, they are in the mix next year. They're absolutely in the mix with a chance to be as good as just about anybody with the way the offense should be. And so you're, you're, you're right. I agree with you. And uh, that's kind of exciting. That's a different place than we've been. Yes, it is. It's an entirely different place. And... We should absolutely all feel excited. That's just really what what there is. You know, it's time. It's time to be excited. Things are good. Okay, but well, let me ask you this, uh, because we have the uh, the John Fay piece. Uh, I shouldn't even mention his name because I love John. He's been good to us. He's been on the podcast, and he's a good writer. And, and I'm glad he's back with the Inquirer. Um, but about standing pat at the at the at the trade deadline. Okay, some other people are saying, you know what? The Reds are playing great right now. Maybe they should uh, be buyers at the trade deadline and uh, go out and see if they can, uh, I don't know, maybe get into this wild card race. No. <laughs> no. You can be buyers at the trade deadline as long as whoever you buy, you control it at least through the end of about 2020. Yes. Don't make decisions that improve the team for the next two months unless yeah, they improve them for the next you know, three, four years. That's a fool's errand because it's not impossible that the Reds could make the playoffs. Uh, you know, our friends over at Red Reporter, friends, uh, I think I think it was Wick Terrell. I'm going to have gotten it wrong now, but I think it was Wick. Wick is one of our friends. Had a, had a piece up about how the Reds could make the playoffs, and they could. Sure. But it's really, really unlikely. I mean, you know, uh, Vegas would really love you to make that bet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Here's the way I put it. As fans there's a chance. Okay. I'm telling you, there's a chance. Uh, the Reds could go 45 and 21 the rest of the way, get to 88 wins and that gets them in the mix. And who knows? Uh, sure. They're 10 games out of the wild card race right now. They've got to go over seven other teams. You know, it's tough. It's possible. And as a fan, that's absolutely 100% what I'm rooting for. I just love the idea of, of uh, you and I talk about hope sometimes. And that's what, that's where I am. But let me tell you something. This, the Reds front office needs to ignore that. The Reds front office should make zero decisions, zero, that are designed to make the team better in the second half. Unless those same decisions make the team better for the next you know, three, four years. Let the fans... Let the fans uh, get excited and hope for a, a wild card run. Oh, it's gonna be great! I hope they do it. I cannot. I would give anything for that. But the front office has to say the course. Don't overreact to the fact that they've had some success this year. Don't make any kind of a misguided attempt to what I, what I call threading the needle to a wild card berth. This team can compete next year. Yes. And so let's not let's not get crazy here. Let's yes. shoot for that. 
Yes, let's next year we could be like, all right, let's win the central. Not all right, let's sneak into the one game sudden death playoff. Yeah, that's the difference between our podcast preseason this year and next year, right? Yeah. Wild card yes. versus this team is could be legit. Yes. And you know what's funny is that we are no longer the only ones saying it. <laughs> Finally. National media is now, I can't remember where I'd say, but I've seen a few stories at least where people are like, well, the Reds are growing up. Young teams do this sometimes, and the Reds are doing it. Good. Yeah. This, this is, uh, you know, the most recent window of competition uh, or competitive play for the Reds was 2010 through 2013. This team shows a lot of the markers of being like that 2009 team, the transition year team, which is what you and I kind of said they were going to be. Yep. It's been masked a little by the poor start, but Jason, you were right before the season. I know. As were you, Chad. Thank you. That was the point where you're supposed to say I was as well. We (laughs) we felt really wrong there for a while, didn't we? Boy, I felt so wrong. But we were wrong because I feel like of decisions that were made by the front office that were clearly not good decisions, not because of the way we analyzed the team. Because the way we analyze the team, they're going to be good offensively. The young pitching is going to stabilize. They're going to be better. I feel like we – I think we're patting ourselves on the back a little bit here, Jason, but I think it's about time that we do that. Yeah. No, it's for sure about time that we do that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So – what do you expect the Reds to do at the trade deadline? Is the Matt Harvey deal, is that the only thing, if you had to predict? I, I mean, Matt Harvey's gone, and then I'm guessing one other trade. I don't know who. Could be Duvall, could be Iglesias, could be Scooter, could be Hamilton. I think one other trade. That's my guess. Because I think all of those guys, there's about a, I don't know, 15, 20, 25% chance they get traded. So I feel like odds are one of them will get traded. Yeah. And it's just going to probably just going to look at the market and be like, well, what's, you know, who, where are we getting a good return here? Where are we getting a return where it makes sense to make the deal? And then they'll make that deal. But the discussion of being sellers versus buyers with all those guys, except for Harvey, you can make a case for hanging on to them. Yeah. If, if you don't get a good, you know, Hamilton and Duvall can be fourth out, fourth, fifth outfielders and really good ones. You know, I mean, Hamilton's going to get expensive, but yeah. uh, but you can make the case in the near term. Well, if we're not getting anything for him, he can still help us. <coughs> um, Duvall as well. I actually, I think if they get overwhelmed by something for Duvall, they can get something when someone that's clearly or a return that's clearly you know better than what Duvall can provide for the next couple of years. I'm okay with hanging on to Duvall if he's your fourth outfielder. I think he's a good fourth outfielder, good defensively, got some power. I don't mind, and, and relatively cheap. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I'm kind of torn. I think cost-wise, Duvall makes more sense than Hamilton. One of the things, and yeah. I think said this maybe to you somewhere, that, that is fun to imagine with Billy Hamilton, though, is, you know, let's say it's the seventh inning and the Reds could really use a run until Jesse Winker gets on base, and then you pinch on Billy Hamilton for him. Yeah. And then you stick Hamilton in center field for the rest of the game. He can help a contending team, which is where we hope the Reds are very soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, money aside, and he's going to get expensive, but. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's complicated, and I think there are a lot of right answers and very few wrong answers. Um, And I just, they just need to have a plan. And I really need them to figure out what I, Nick Senzel, yeah. And Scooter, what are they doing with those two? 
Yeah, and Nixon's own scooter, that's the question. And I'm sorry, you cannot keep Nick Senzel down. You can't. And if you want to play him in the outfield, fine. Play him in the outfield. That's stupid. It's not my favorite because option, but at least he's in the lineup. Yeah. But you have to play him somewhere next year on the Major League team. Yeah, they need to have a plan right now what they're going to do with Scooter and what they're going to do with Senzel because that's going to really shape their other decisions. Know what they're going to do, they just haven't told us because yeah. there are reasons. But yeah, it's time to it's time to get real. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, but but with with uh, Scooter Jeanette, with Rosella Iglesias, with Adam Duvall, with uh, Billy Hamilton, all those guys that have been sort of in some trade talks, you know. You really, you can make a really good argument both ways. Here's a good argument for keeping these each of these. Here's a good argument for trading each of these if, if, with a right for the right return. And so it's just a different spot, you know. With with Aroldis Chapman and Todd Frazier, they waited too long and they're sort of under the gun to trade them. It's not like that anymore. That's a, I don't know. I keep I keep harping on it, but that's a big deal to me. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me. I want I want your comments on this one. All right. This is, uh, and actually, I wish I hadn't said this uh, on on the radio uh, on ESPN fifteen thirty this week because it's uh, it's insanity. Maybe you'll tell me it's insanity, but here's what I think. I don't really wish I hadn't said it because I said it again on Twitter tonight. The Cincinnati Reds have this guy named Taylor Trammell. Yes, he's an A ball right now, which is ludicrous. I don't know yes. why they refuse to promote their good players. Um. Nixon's else long, but Ted Fromell still an A ball and just uh, blowing it up. He was the you know just was outstanding in the futures game at the all the All Stars futures game. Just showed everybody this guy's a beast, a home run and a triple, and uh, and uh, and it's a couple of interviews that just blew me away in terms of his maturity and uh, just a bright kid who knows what he's doing at the plate. Oh, there's nothing to dislike about Taylor Trammell. He's an A ball right now still. Again, inexplicably, I don't get it. I say that Taylor Trammell needs to be in the mix to be the starting center fielder for the Cincinnati Reds on opening day 2019. Tell me how crazy I am. Only a little. (laughs) Well, that's better than I thought you'd give me, Jason. I think I need to see him at double A. Um, I know for a lot of players, double A is kind of a... A lot of guys wash out at double-A. A lot of guys who look like they're legit. I don't think he's going to wash out. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to wash out. If he hits a double-A like he's been hitting it at a, at a high-A, yeah, for sure. I, I would agree with you 100%. Um, I would want to see him at double-A a little bit at least. But shouldn't uh, he have been at double-A 45 days ago at least? Yes. <laughs> yes, oh. he should. Um, you know, if uh, – <laughs> In some strange, dark world where I am running the show. That's a um, dark world. It's a dark world. <laughs> uh, no, my outfield very soon is going to be uh, Winker, Trammell, and then either Shebler or Jeanette. Yeah, that's, that's a good outfield. And my infield is going to be Votto, Senzel, Peraza, and Suarez. What kills me is that if... Taylor Trammell was were in the uh, Atlanta Braves organization, the Braves who are in the mix for the National League East division this year, even though they started their rebuild the same time the Reds did. Taylor Trammell may not be in the big leagues right now, but he's absolutely on the big leagues next spring. Yeah. 
uh, and with the Reds, he's going to start next year at Double A. It wears me out that he's not in the big leagues when uh, when other teams would have him there. Oh, yes. why, why aren't we running the Cincinnati Reds? I don't know because we're incompetent, Jason. Well, you know, maybe. <laughs> Here's the headline: Reds hire podcasters to run the uh, run the organization. Yeah, that'll go over well. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is the part where I say that a whole lot of front offices are run by people who know people who own baseball teams. True, true. Um, who you know matters a whole lot. I, you know, I think that uh, there's a lot to the general manager job of a baseball team or the head of operations or whatever they call the guy who's effectively the general manager this year, you know, these days. Um, but I don't think it's the oh my God, impossible job that people act like it is either. I think it's it's a, effectively a, man, a, a high-stakes managerial job that a great many people are qualified for. And if you know the right people, you get it because it's a pretty sweet gig. Yeah, well, you and I are going to have this conversation, not tonight, but at some point. Because, uh, you know, I've met Dick Williams and Nick Crawl. I like them both. I've been very impressed uh, having talked to both of them. And, and I think they're both smart and they're both open-minded. The the conversation you and I are going to have, and don't go crazy on me here responding to this because I I know where you are on this, but and I do want to get into this in depth at some point. I think they may probably know what they're doing um, because it's not as hard as necessarily uh, some people say it is. But I also think they're hamstrung by an owner that is uh, not exactly uh, hands off. Let's say that. And I like Bob Castellini; he's done some good things for the Reds, but I worry seriously about how much he's meddling and that it's making crawl and Williams look worse than they actually are. Is that fair? I think that is fair. Okay. We'll get into that at some point. Cause I do, I really do. Actually, I think that's a in, really interesting topic for a future podcast. Um, ownership. So, all right. Anyway, Jason, all-star break. Uh, you ready to predict where the reds are? You want to make a, you want to put a number on where the reds are at the end of the season? Yes. I will put a number at where the Reds are at the end of the season. I'm going to be a little bit bold. Let's hear it. You ready for this? I don't think I am, but I'm going to – doesn't matter really. Three. Okay. Now I'm confused. Third place? Third place. Wow. We're coming for you, St. Louis. Oh, man. I would uh, – you know, right now, just even thinking about it, a single tear is streaming down my cheek. <laughs> terribly exciting so oh well i'll take that i'll take that i think we're gonna i think the cincinnati reds are gonna be at uh, 78 wins in the year and i think we're all gonna be very very happy with that and i'm probably being impossibly optimistic but it's baseball it's supposed to be fun right it is supposed to be fun all right this is red Lake nation radio episode number 218 of the world's greatest and most dangerous podcast. Uh, I'm Chad Dotson jason linden's with me again this week i'm at dotson c on twitter he's at jason linden on Twitter. Uh, we're at redlegnation.com every single day and at redlegnation on Twitter. Redlegnation.com, we've been writing about the Reds since 2005, which is hard to believe and uh, still going strong every single day. Uh, email me at chaddotson at redlegnation.com if you have questions for the for the podcast. Also, you feel free to send, us a, send me a, an MP3 of you asking your questions. We'll work it into the podcast, uh, your actual Actual insane voice, which is probably better than my ridiculous accent that you have to listen to on this podcast. Dulcet tones, Chad. Why are you so hard on yourself? The dulcet tones. 
Yeah, something like that. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere you find podcasts, you'll find us. Uh, every week I'm gratified by the number of uh, five-star reviews that you guys keep posting at iTunes. Go post some more. Tell your friends about us. Uh, and again, as I say always, if you like us, talk about us. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. Jason, buddy, always fun. Always a pleasure, Chad. For Jason Linden and Lisa Alberto Bonilla, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.